Good evening. Turn over to 1 John chapter 1. We are moving right along in 1 John. Don't worry, there's three Johns. We still have to get all through. 2 John and 3 John are pretty short, so I thought I'd take my time with 1 John. Who am I kidding? We're going to take my time with all of them. 1 John chapter 1 verse 7 uh, is where we're going to pick back up tonight. The last time uh, we were together on Sunday evening uh, covering First uh, John, we were talking about the fellowship relationship that we have with God and Christ and how that relationship helps form and, and flourish the fellowship relationship that we have with His church um, and with each other. Um, verse 7, John writes, But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So to walk in the light indicates action and direction. Uh, We talked this morning um, about the eyes and how the eyes see light. I've never really thought about the concept, the fact that everything that we see, we only see it because light's bouncing off of it. I remember a long time ago, uh, Bill Nye the Science Guy did an episode about light and how light works. And I remember I was a nerd, still am. He, uh, I used to take notes during the Bill Nye the Science Guy show. And I would go to school, and for show and tell, I would present an experiment that Bill Nye the Science Guy did. And I remember he took light in a prism and he split it into the colors, you know, the, the colors of the rainbow. And I had this weird little prism thing that I got, I think, at a Happy Meal or something. And so I was able to take that and do the experiment in front of the class. And no one was impressed. And everybody was more impressed with the G.I. Joe that one of my friends brought in. But hey, that may be why I stopped taking notes in class. I don't know. But um, it just, when we were talking about this this morning, I thought, "That's, that's really profound. When we think about the dark world that we live in, if we think about the world that we live in as darkness and our responsibility in the world to be the light, it goes back to what Kip said about uh, the, the candle 14 miles away. In pitch dark, the eye can pick up a candle from 14 miles away. In this dark world, if there's only one candle in the entire world shining a light, people are going to miss it. But we're all supposed to be the light. And so the more light there is, then the more we get to bring people into the truth. The more people that will see us and be brought into it. But this is talking about walking in the light. right? Jesus is the light. Walk in the light as He is in the light. He's kind of like the Billie Jean music video, right? Every time he took a step, like the sidewalk lit up, right? Have you ever been to Disney World at Epcot? At night, the um, concrete has little stars that light up in the concrete. And in some places where you walk, it gets brighter. It's one of those like hidden things of Disney World, but I always thought it was pretty cool. But when we consider how we are to walk in the light as He is in the light, He is the light and we are to be walking that path that he is enlightening for us. We live in a dark world, and that path is dark. And without light, we have no idea where we're going, the blind leading the blind. But because of this action, this direction that we're supposed to have within the light, it indicates that we're not supposed to just sit around 
like spectators who are waiting for Jesus to come again. We're not supposed to just sit calmly in a worship assembly waiting for God to bless our lives. The Christian experience is one of movement. We are walking in the light. We are walking in the light as He is in the light. We are not sitting in it. We have direction and we are supposed to be on the move. We are walking in the steps of Jesus. And such a walk like this produces the kind of life that leads to eternal life. Turn over to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16, verses 24 through 27. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come again with angel, or come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. This, these few verses here detail the attributes uh, of the disciple who denies himself and follows Jesus. How we are supposed to do this and why we should do it. And when the light that illuminates our life is the light of Jesus, then we have fellowship with him. And fellowship requires that we have a proper relationship with God and other believers, as we talked about last time. Everyone who is walking in the light has been cleansed from all sins by the blood of Jesus. That's what he says at the end of verse 7 there. Far too many people claim to follow Jesus, but they don't have the proper walk. To be pleasing to God, we must be walking. And we must be walking in the right direction. That's also an important part of it. And it's only when we walk where Jesus walked that His blood will cleanse us from all of our sin. And then we are truly walking in the light as He is in the light. And one way that we are to do this, an important aspect, is to acknowledge our sin. And that's what John talks about next in verses 8 through 10. He says, if we, ha- if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. Walking in the light, this is important, walking in the light doesn't mean we don't sin. That will never sin. The antichrists, the the Gnostics that that Paul or uh, John is is writing to refute, they denied the presence of individual sin within their own lives. They believed that if a person knew enough, if he had enough knowledge, he would be able to over, overcome sin by that knowledge. They believed that knowledge could remove any possibility of sin. In their lives. And John destroys this argument here in verses 8 through 10. And he does so by presenting really the, the futility of denying our, uh, our present sins. He also, he also presents the need for us to confess our sins. Uh, 
And he also teaches us to acknowledge our past sins. So let's talk about the, the denial of past sins. Right? Verse 8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. In the Greek language, this sentence is written in what's called the present active indicative. Got that? Everybody taking notes? That means that um, it's a continual action. It's something that's always happening. The truth is, even after we become children of God, we continue to struggle with sin. And according to 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, a Christian cannot claim that he no longer sins. And John makes it clear that anyone making such a claim is not only deceiving himself, but the truth is not in him. That's, a, that's, an, that's kind of a big deal. The truth isn't in you. We talked this morning about truth and the reality of truth and what truth is. We cannot lie to ourselves in regard to our sin problem by claiming we no longer sin. We must be constantly on our guard against the many temptations that we face in life. But we should also avoid the devil's lie that once a person becomes a child of God, he cannot sin. And there are some denominations that even today still teach that. And that is not true. Because if that were true, then the requirement or the the statement that John makes in verse 9 of confessing our sins, why do we need to confess our sins if we have no sin? Well, it's very plain by this that we do sin. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John is not speaking to the Gnostics here. He's not speaking to the Antichrist. He's speaking to the believers. To confess means to speak uh, or to say... uh, to say the same thing together with another, to assent, to accord, to agree with, to concede, admit, confess, all, all definitions that are encompassed by that Greek word. So why is it that so many people who name the name of Jesus, call themselves Christians, refuse to admit their faults either to, to man or to God? Sometimes we don't even acknowledge our sins to ourselves. It could be because of pride or shame. With others, it's simply just ignorance about the need to examine their own personal conduct. When we do sin, we must acknowledge our shortcomings before God. How can you be forgiven of something if you don't recognize the sin in your own life? How can you be forgiven if you don't go to the Father to seek that forgiveness? When a believer is baptized into Christ, all of his sins are washed away. Right? Acts 22, verse 16, Paul states that. Baptism, the immersion, is into the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 6, the first six or seven verses, talks about that. However, we need to understand that it is possible for a person to sin after he becomes a Christian. And whenever that happens... We need additional forgiveness and cleansing. That doesn't mean we need to be baptized again. But we do need to repent and confess our wrongdoing. Now the word repentance is also an interesting word. Uh, It comes from the Greek word metanoia, um, which means a change of will produced by sorrow for sins, leading to a reformation of life. When we do that, 
when we repent, the Lord will cleanse us from all righteousness and restore our status as a faithful child of God. And we have to have faith that that action is happening. Because faith is the whole basis of receiving forgiveness. We believe, we confess, and we are forgiven. Uh, Repent. I, I think I left that one out. Repentance is important. Turning away from, getting away from it. A change of heart. In some circumstances, um, it's necessary to acknowledge our sin to the persons that we wronged. Person or persons. Right? We've talked uh, in our Life of Christ class on Wednesday nights about uh, you know, Matthew 18, uh, Matthew 5, in the Beatitudes, when, or the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus is talking about going to your brother. If, you have something against, or if your brother has something against you, go to him before you bring your offering to the, to the altar. When we confess our sins and repent, we are restored to faithfulness. But that doesn't mean that we should continue on sinning so that grace may abound, right? Repentance means stop. Turn away from. Move away from it. Acts chapter 8. Verses 9 through 4 um, is all about a man named Simon. Simon the sorcerer, as some uh, translations have it. This man was very highly regarded by the citizens of Samaria. He appeared uh, to have special miraculous powers. And so people called him great. But he wasn't really a miracle worker. He was a fake. He was a trickster. He was... Steve Martin in Leap of Faith. When Simon heard the gospel, he obeyed God's commandments and he became a Christian. However, when the apostles Peter and John came for a visit and they were laying their hands on some of the new believers, he witnessed some of them receiving a miraculous gift by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Simon wanted that. And he wanted it so much that he offered to buy the gift of God with money. Acts chapter 8 verse 20. He wanted the power to lay hands on people in order to give them a miraculous gift. He wanted that power. He wanted the same power the apostles had. He didn't just want the miraculous gift that they were getting. Like He didn't want just the ability to be able to heal people or the ability to speak in foreign language, speak in tongues. He didn't want those abilities. He wanted the ability the apostles had to give other people abilities. And because his motive was sinful... Peter rebuked him as a wicked man who was in the bond of iniquity. Now remember, Simon was a new Christian. He had just been baptized. He had just obeyed the gospel. However, he was already in need of confession and repentance. To his credit, he asked Peter to pray for him so that he would be delivered from the consequences of his sin. But that alone couldn't save him. That alone could not bring about forgiveness. The forgiveness comes when you acknowledge your own sin. You repent of it and seek that forgiveness. It is amazing, of course, to me to learn that even an apostle can sin. I don't think we think about that too much. You know, the Catholic Church has sainthood. Offer, you know, gives certain people this title, basically. 
And you, you see it all the time, St. Peter, St. Paul, etc. Peter was a sinner. Peter sinned. Peter sinned after Jesus died and was ascended to heaven. Paul rebuked him of his sin. Galatians chapter 2, verses 11-14 through 14, talks about this whole, this whole interaction between Paul and Peter and also Barnabas. And Paul opposed Peter to his face because Peter stood condemned. Peter became a hypocrite by drawing back from those Gentile Christians when certain Jewish believers arrived in town. It's like he hung out with all the Gentiles, but when his friends came into town, his Jewish friends came into town, he's like, I know you guys. The mistake of Peter was so great that Barnabas was following his example and committed the same sin. Barnabas, the encourager, was encouraged away from the Gentiles. Paul stated that the actions of Peter were not in step with the truth of the gospel. The actions of both Peter and Barnabas, of course, were wrong, and Peter rebuked them for their uh, error in order to bring them back to the light. So we must never ignore personal sin. Doing so creates a real danger to our eternal destiny. Even worse, our sins can sometimes cause others to sin right along with us. And when we do sin, of course, as I mentioned, we must repent and confess. Our faithful Father will forgive us, and we will again be considered to be faithful children. Lastly tonight, denying sins of the past. Uh, Verse 10 If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. This is a little bit different from verse 8. Verse 8 speaks of those who are denying present sins, and the structure of verse 10 in the Greek indicates a denial that uh, that they ever sinned in the past. And it seems that some people looked back on their lives and erroneously concluded that they had never sinned. Of course, this, that's, just, that's just patently false. Jesus Christ is the only human being who ever lived a sinless life. And Scripture clearly states that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3, verse 23. All. The Apostle John teaches us that if we claim to be sinless, we make God a liar. Hebrews 6, verse 18 informs us that it is impossible for God to lie. It seems like a pretty hefty charge that if we make God a liar. It's important for every believer to acknowledge that at one point they were a sinner in the past. A failure to do so makes God a liar, and therefore we learn from this passage that we must acknowledge two kinds of sin in our lives. We have to acknowledge our present sins and our past sins, and we must confess our sins before God the Father. Just because Jesus died on the cross to take away our sins doesn't mean that we are free to just go about sinning. It also doesn't mean that if we sin, we're covered. We have to recognize our sin, confess it to God, and repent. And turn away from it. Cut it out. Can we help you with that tonight? Do you need to confess your sin 
Do you need to seek repentance? Can we assist you in prayer or study? Or do you wish to repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins and come up out of the water in a new life, walking in the light? If we can help you in any way tonight, why don't you come now while we stand and sing?